Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. So today we're in episode two, as I said, and the topic I have for you is this, things that Jesus never said, go do what makes you happy. Right now, we live in a culture that is obsessed with happiness. Happiness comes from the word happenstance, it just means something happened and it brought you a little bit of enthusiasm. And for most of us, the majority of us in the world, we're on a happiness quest. We're not actually on a life quest. We're on a happiness quest. We do things to make us happy. And sometimes even in church, people think they're on a spiritual quest, but they're actually on a happiness quest because they think if they get more spiritual, it'll make them happy. So ultimately, most of us are on a happiness quest. But that's a little bit different to what Jesus talked about. right? So as a Christ follower... You know, if you read any of the Gospels, and especially if you have paper versions, and nowadays you have the electronic version as well, but when you get to the Gospels, you'll see some parts of the Gospel that are written in red. And these are actually the words that Jesus said, right? So you as a reader can differentiate that this is not the narrative, this is actually the words of Jesus Christ. And so they they highlight it in red. And sometimes it's important for us to examine in context what Jesus didn't say, so we can understand the true power of what he did say. Because sometimes they get all mixed up and misconstrued, and we talked about that last week. You know? And so we want to talk today about what Jesus actually said about happiness. Right? And sometimes it, it is all over the place because we get into our emotions and our feelings, and we think it's just about that. But here to kick off, I'm going to say a few things that Jesus didn't say, right? Number one, go into the world and do what makes you happy. Never said that. You'll never find that in the scriptures. Another one, whoever wants to be my disciple must be cool, avoid the cross, and follow their heart. Never said that. Jesus never said that. Here's another one. Ask And it'll be given to you because God is a cosmic piggy bank that just wants to shower you with all the stuff you need. Jesus never said that either. What did Jesus actually say? And this is important for us to understand because as Christ followers, as we navigate through our world, if we misconstrue what Jesus actually said, we actually end up in a place that we're not supposed to. Because we're seeking the wrong thing and we're running after the wrong thing. And when we get to the end of that search, we get really upset with God because we're thinking, hey, isn't this what you said? How come I'm not getting what you said? But we've actually taken his words out of context. We've not listened to what he actually says. And then we're expecting a return on something that he never said. And so we want to hold him accountable to things that he never actually said. So it's important for us as Christ followers to understand what he actually did say so we can reap the benefit of his amazing words and the power of what he actually wants us to have, which is so amazing. So as I said, the Gospels, you know, John, one of the Gospel writers, begins to give us this narrative of a real event that happened in the life of Jesus Christ. And we're going to use that as a springboard to talk about what Jesus' meaning about happiness is when he talks about our worldview. So John giving sort of a context to the whole narrative of what's happening begins to write down this encounter that Jesus had in one of his days in his ministry. And this is what he says in John. At dawn, he being Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, brought in a woman caught in adultery. So here's the picture. Jesus goes into the temple. He's there to teach people and 
and talk about some things that God said. And, and so at that time, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day, they went out and they found this woman and a man, obviously, she's not doing it by herself, caught in the act of adultery, and they dragged her, I don't know what happened to him, but they dragged her to Jesus. Now you can imagine that obviously she's not in the most dress condition. She's probably have her clothes half off, half on. They've thrown whatever hand. And so they've dragged her in embarrassment right through the city to the temple and thrown her at the feet of Jesus. This is not the best position to be in, obviously. In any position, whether you're a man or a woman, especially for a woman, she's dragged in front of these people, people scorning her. They've dropped her off in front of Jesus. It continues, John says, they made us stand before the group, everyone staring at her, probably have all of these thoughts and maybe even words, derogatory words thrown at her, and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, which means that she was doing the act when they found her. They continue in verse 5. In the law of Moses, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? There's their motivation. They didn't bring her to Jesus to embarrass her, even though that was part of what was happening. They brought her to Jesus because they wanted to examine Jesus. They wanted him to be put in a compromising position. And so they, they tell him verbally, and to us, John gives us an understanding, this is their motive. According to the law, Jesus, Moses said that if you committed acts and an act of adultery, you should be taken out of the city and you should be stoned to death. That is the law that we live by. You are a rabbi in Israel. What do you say? So, continuing on, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They were doing this to try and trap Jesus. Now, what is the trap? Well, it's a complicated situation because according to the law, the law says this is what's required. You need to stone her. She needs to die. But they knew who Jesus was. Now, if Jesus said, you're right, that's what the law says, take her out and stone her, that would compromise Jesus' compassion. All that he talked about, he would lose his reputation for talking about forgiveness and talking about love and talking about all these things. All that gets thrown out of the window if he agrees with them. But on the other hand, if he says, let's excuse her, forget about it, let's forgive her, he's condoning adultery and he's going against the law of the land. And so Jesus now is found in this difficult position. On one side, the law what's right according to what they believe. On the other side, if he gives in, he's compromising the law and thus looking weak in the front of people. And they did this to trap him. So they might accuse him. Because if he chose this way, they could say, hey, you're not even compassionate the way you talk about it. If they went this way, they said, you don't even want to obey the law. And you talk yourself and tell yourself that you're a teacher. And so they thought by presenting the situation to Jesus that they would find one way and they're like, hey, if he went this way, we got him. If he went this way, we got him. But you're messing with Jesus. <laughs> Continuing on, Jesus didn't answer. He bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. That's what John says. They gathered around. This woman's in front of him. He kneels down and he begins to scribble in the sand. Now what did he write? John doesn't give us any information. None of the other gospel writers give us any information of what Jesus actually wrote. But he wrote something, he says. Later on, manuscripts and, and scribes tell us that he wrote, or they believe that he wrote some of the sins of the people that were accusing him. 
And that's what most theologians believe. That that's what he wrote down. He wrote down, you know, their transgressions and, and their adultery and their lies and their misinformation. He wrote down what they were doing. And the word that actually comes from the Greek is the word graphin, which means literally to write down. But it's actually more than that because they use a word katagraphin, which means to write a record against. That's actually the Greek word, katagraphin, to write down a record against someone. So that's why we believe that Jesus wrote down, he probably wrote down, hey, Joe, adultery, Harry, liar, Sue, cheat. He began to write down what they did. Verse 7, when they kept on questioning him, being Jesus, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. If you have no sin in your life, you have perfect right to pick up a stone and to stone her. That's what he's saying. But again, the translation into our modern context doesn't give us the full picture. He's not saying without sin. He's saying if you've never had a motive in your life to actually commit a sin, then pick up the stone. He's saying the motive of your heart, it's not just if you've not committed it. He's saying if you've never desired it, if you've never had an inclination towards it, if you've never had a weakness in your life where you gave into it, then pick up the stone. And cast it at her. You know, it's so easy for us to point out other people's mistakes. To point out other people's failures. Other people's, you know, things that are going wrong in their life. But we want to gloss over what we do. We hold ourselves to a lower standard than we hold someone else. Their mistakes are highlighted. If we could point out the mistakes of people, we'd make neon signs and put it up and flash it above their head. But ours, we want to cover it in a little book and hide it so no one sees it. It's easy to point out other people's mistakes. It's easy to condemn them. It's easy to, to say, you did it, and you did it, and you did it. But when, you know, I was just late, you know, I didn't have a choice. I was pushed into a corner. We make excuses for ourselves, but we hold other people to a higher standard. Again, in verse 8, it continues. Again, he stood down and wrote on the ground. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. The crowd dissipated. They all disappeared. One by one, they slunk away into the background, into the streets, whatever it may be, because they knew in their hearts they were trying to condemn Jesus, but yet they knew they weren't pure. They weren't right. They weren't standing on good ground. They had no reason to say that they were pure because only a pure person would pick up a stone and stone them, and there was no one else there but Jesus who was actually that. And so they disappeared. Jesus straightened up and asked a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus answered. And here is where we find out that Jesus is not letting her off the hook. Because he says, go now and leave your life of sin. He didn't say, go away and do what makes you happy. You know, it's not a Nike slogan, just do it. He didn't say, that's okay. You know what? Everyone's left and now I'm not condemning you either. So it's okay. You just go ahead and, and just get away and do whatever you want. It's okay. It's fine. There's no one else around now. He didn't say that. Go and do whatever makes you happy. Go now and follow your heart because I'm sure you felt passion when you were doing it. It doesn't matter what you do. You do you. Whatever makes you happy, go do it. That's not what he said, did he? He said, go and sin no more. That word sin in our culture has a very taboo thing associated with it because we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to mention it. We don't want to bring it to light. We just want to gloss it over. And most places, they don't even want to mention the word because it offends people. But Jesus wasn't worried about offending a person because he cared about those people's soul. 
He cared about their life. And so it's easy to just excuse someone because you know what? I don't want to offend that person. I don't want to embarrass them. I don't want to say that. But Jesus, his compassion didn't condemn her, but he said, don't go back to the ways you were doing it. Because there's something better in life for you. There's something greater in life for you. There's something that's amazing, but you've stooped down to a low level. Don't go back to an area that's going to degrade your life. Expect better from yourself. Live a life that God intended for you of greatness and not stoop down to this, the base level. Go and sin no more. And he, there's an urgency there. Leave your life of sin behind and get yourself to be somewhere different. Be free from the cataclysm holding trap of sin. Why do we give in to temptation? You ever thought about that? It's easy to blame the devil. We blame the devil. Well, the devil made me do it. Sometimes he didn't make you do it. You wanted to do it. He wasn't even around. It was all you, baby. <laughs> it was no one else. Now, he needs some blame. I agree with all of that. But sometimes he didn't need to tempt you. Your temptation came all from you. In fact, if you examine James, James, who is the brother of Jesus, which is amazing to know that Jesus had a brother, James. And we know what he thought and what he did. And he says this. He says, temptation begins from the inside. There's an externalness that attracts you, but there's an, something on the inside that draws you to it. Did you know that you can't be tempted with something that you're not attracted to? If you're not, if you're not inclined to smoke, then nobody, it doesn't matter how many people offer you a cigarette. You're like, I don't care. That's not a temptation to me at all. You can only be tempted with something that you want, that you're weak in. You can't be tempted with something that is not an area where you're weak in. So James says, when you see something on the outside, something on the inside craves that. And then he says, that craving grows to such an extent that you give in to it. And so the outside temptation and the inside craving marry each other and they give birth and what's produced is sin. That's what he says. So here's... A revelation. Maybe you didn't know this, that temptation is not a sin. Jesus was tempted, but it says, yet he did not sin. Temptation is not a sin. It's when you give in to it that it manifests and gives birth to sin. So, like Jesus, all of us are tempted in many ways in different areas. And most of us Try to resist the temptation, especially if you're a Christ follower. But some of us, and most of us, again, areas of our life, and we all have different areas of our life, that we give in to it. And when we give in to it, what happens is we have regret later. See, sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God. Sin promises you, hey, you're going to have a good time. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting. All this flash and enthusiasm, but the price you pay will come later. So up front, it might look good, it might look appealing, it might look attractive, it might look great, and you might enjoy it, but why do you feel bad later? Why do you have regret later? Because you know what you did wasn't right. That's what temptation is. And if you, if you get into the life of this woman, before we judge her too harshly, let's just be a little bit creative in looking into her life. Right now, the scripture doesn't give us insight into her background, what happened, how she arrived on the scene in a compromising position. That's, we just see the end result of what happened. But I don't, I don't believe that she just decided to wake up one morning and go, hey, guess what? I'm going to run out and commit adultery. That didn't happen on the spur of the moment. That didn't happen in a moment. That didn't happen on that day. It was... A, it was occasion of events that led up to that. Maybe she had a husband that was inattentive to her. Maybe she'd been trying for years to get his attention, but he was just busy doing stuff elsewhere. He couldn't pay any attention. Maybe he took her for granted. Maybe he was verbally abusive. Maybe he was neglectful, whatever it may be. And she's feeling 
unappreciated. And she's at work, and then there's people at work that are nice to her. There's this guy that's nice. Let's say he sits in the next booth, and he's really nice to her. He compliments her on her work. You're doing an awesome job. That's great. The next day, next week, he's like, wow, I love the dress you're wearing. It looks fabulous on you. A few weeks later, he compliments her on her, hey, I like your new hairdo. She's like, wow, really? My husband didn't even notice that I did my hair differently. But he noticed, you know? And it, it, it started to become exciting because now she's putting on a little dress because she wants to get a compliment. She's doing her hair in a nice way because her coworker notices it. And she wants to get some attention there. She's certainly not getting it at home. And you know, there's, there's nothing wrong now. There's nothing wrong with dressing myself up to work, to go to work. I don't have any... That's not a problem, is it? Look good when you go to work? Then he, she notices that he's following her on Instagram. And he starts liking her post at 3 o'clock in the morning. And then he's not just liking it, he starts commenting it. Fire! <laughs> Clapping hands. Amazing! Something starts to stir. This guy is paying her attention. So she stays up late monitoring her Instagram post to see if he's putting fire on her pictures. Exciting stuff is going on, right? Then she's like, hey, he says to her, do you want to get a cup of coffee, you know, after work? And she's like, yeah, that's okay. I'm not doing anything wrong. It's just a cup of coffee. So they go out for coffee and they start talking and he's like, you know, maybe I can call you sometimes. She's like, sure, here's my number. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a conversation, is there? It's just two friends talking. Nothing wrong here. Nothing to see here. Move on by. Then they start talking and the conversation gets longer because her husband's not paying attention to her. He doesn't know what's happening. She's spending time texting. She's texting him. He's texting her. They're having conversations. Then one day he says to her, you know what? I think I made a mistake on, in my life because maybe I should have married someone like you instead of the person that I married. That starts something else with him. Then one day at work, she's doing some photocopying and he walks close by her and he brushes her and she's like, ooh, all the tingly feelings start to come on. That was, was that just a touch? Was that an accident? Or was that something else? You know, something's tingling within me. And so she calls up her best friend and she says, you know what, there's this guy at work and he's really good looking and we've been chatting and he's putting fire on my Instagram posts, you know, and I don't know what to do. And she's like, you know what, boo, you do you, do whatever makes you happy. She's like, yeah, because he's not, my husband's not making me happy. And maybe I should just, you know, it's just a little bit of happiness. Can't do anything wrong there. Here's what's missing from my life, she thinks. He's, this guy, he's making me happy. This guy, the guy, I don't know where he is. He's not even showing up. He doesn't pay me attention. And step by step, moment by moment, decision by decision, she ends up in a compromising position. She ends up in a place that maybe she didn't want to go to. But small decisions along the way led her. And people in the world say, well, do what makes you happy. But do you think she was happy when she got dragged half-clothed in front of someone else? Do you think she enjoyed it when someone else looked down at her? Do you think she enjoyed committing this act knowing she wasn't actually being faithful to her husband? Was there joy and happiness attached to the situation? It was all exciting at the beginning, but it didn't end up that way, did it? See, in our culture, oftentimes we approach life with relativistic beliefs. It means, it means it's all relative, you know? Whatever you think is good is good. Who am I to tell you what's right? 
You do what's right for you, I'll do what's right for me. That's the kind of world that we live in, you know? And when we don't have a basic understanding of truth and standards, then whatever you decide is right, is right. Whatever you decide is happiness, is happiness. Whatever I want to make me happy is happiness. There's no right or wrong, it's all relative. Because there's no standard. See, sin promises happiness up front, but makes you pay a heavy price later. Promises you, here's the best, you're gonna enjoy this, it'll be awesome. Just do what makes you happy. Because life is short, YOLO, you know, hashtag. And all of a sudden you find yourself in a place you never intended to be. Without belief in absolute truth, truth is defined by whatever makes you happy. Without an understanding or belief in absolute truth, then truth is defined by whatever makes you happy. So, hey, if chatting to someone that's not your husband makes you happy, go ahead and do it. If sleeping around makes you happy, well, go ahead and do it. If taking drugs makes you happy, well, go ahead and do it. You want to have a little extra drink? Go ahead and do it. Whatever makes you happy. Telling someone this and telling someone else a lie, that makes them happy, you go ahead and do it. Who's to define what makes, what's right or wrong? If there's no absolute truth. If there's no standard of right and wrong. If there's no ways of, of understanding truth in our life. Do whatever makes you happy, right? That's how we should live. According to what people tell us. When the bottom line is my happiness, happiness becomes the standard by which I judge my actions. When the bottom line is happiness, happiness becomes the standard by how I judge my actions. Which means, if it makes me happy, I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter if it hurts someone else. It doesn't matter if it puts me in a compromising position. It doesn't matter if someone else is injured by my actions. It doesn't matter if I'm neglectful to someone else. Because you know what? Just, it makes me happy, so I should go ahead and do it. I know it's wrong, but it just feels so right, is what we tell ourselves. I know I shouldn't do this, but I just love doing it. I know I shouldn't go there, but I'm just so attracted to be there. Whatever makes you happy. See, the problem is, so many think happiness and holiness, which is godly life, is two completely different things, and it odds at, the other, odds at each other. If you, if you want to be happy, you can't live for God. If you want to live for God, you can't be happy. That's the lie. The lie is that if you want to live for God, you're going to just give up your happiness. You're going to be a stick in the mud. You're just going to be this talk, stoic person that has no idea of anything that's enjoyable in life. Just forget about joy in your life. Forget about anything that makes you happy because you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life if you're going to serve God. That's the lie. And so the lie is we need to choose between living for God and choose happiness. We can't have both. We have to do one or the other. And so the world puts that on us. The, the way of, you know, is just presented in that fashion. We have to choose if we want to be with God and choose whether we want to have joy in life. We want to choose whether it's going to be awesome or I'm going to be miserable. We think that God is up in heaven looking down and he says, you know, I love you children, but I need you to be miserable every moment of your life. Because if you're not miserable, then something's wrong. That's what we think. That our heavenly father is a, you know, a killjoy. He's up there. He's like, oh my gosh, you're having fun. Oh no, no, we can't have that. You better get out of there. And I send a lightning bolt right now and strike it right where you sit. No fun for you. Be serious. But that's contrary to what Jesus taught contrary to what the scripture says, because here in Matthew 7, it says this, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He says, if you 
are not even living the right way and you know how to do, give good gifts to your kids, what do you think your heavenly father will do for you? Does he want you to enjoy life? In fact, Jesus says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly, which means full of joy and happiness. Right? And happiness is a momentary period. God wants to give us joy because joy is a state of being while happiness is a temporary feeling. God desires to do that. See, the reason we think we have to choose between one or the other is because we're looking in the wrong place. We're looking for happiness in the wrong place. Let me give you a story. Anyone watch Tiger King on Netflix? Some of you? Uh, I'm not talking about the people, I'm talking about the tiger now. So you have a tiger. Have anyone seen a tiger? I'm sure you all seen a tiger when a book or a TV show, whatever. Tigers are meant to live in the wild, right? And they have, they say, a roaming space of like about 400 kilometers. They can travel up to 200 kilometers a day or whatever. They roam wide spaces. So imagine we went in the wild, we caught a tiger, we put it in a cage that's about five feet by five feet. Ever been to a zoo and you see the tiger walk up and down, up and down? You know why it does that? Because it wants to be free. It's just put in a cage. It's not designed to be there. So you catch this magnificent animal out in the wild. You throw it in a cage, five by five, whatever, feet by five, put it in a cage. And the tiger's not happy, right? It's like, it's not happy. You're like, oh, you know what? Let's do something to make this tiger happy because we can, we, we can do stuff in our world to make ourselves happy. Let's do this to the tiger. So let's, you know, let's make it rain for the tiger. <laughs> we'll give it some money. Here's some money, tiger. Be happy. Do you think the tiger's happy? No, tiger's not happy. Okay, okay. Let's change this plan. Let's have a party. Let's put some boombox grooves on. Let's get some grooving going on. Let's put that party on. Is the tiger happy? Tiger's not happy? Okay, well, what about some Mai Tais? You know, we'll get some drinks going along. We'll get some sexy pictures of other tigers they can put on the wall in the cage. And, you know, some tigers, nice, picture, beautiful pictures of tigers. We'll put them on the wall. We'll turn up the beats. We'll give them some Mai Tais. Is the tiger happy? You sure? All right. What if we take some selfies with the tiger and put it on Instagram and it gets thousands of likes. Is the tiger happy? You sure? Because we've given it selfies and a lot of social media. We've given it a party, you know, and lots of drinks and some sexy pictures. We've given it money. Why isn't the tiger happy? Because the tiger wasn't designed to live in a cage. It doesn't matter what you throw at it, it's not going to be happy. You weren't designed to get happiness from this world by getting stuff. It doesn't matter how much stuff you put in your life, you're not going to be happy. Because there's a God-sized hole in your heart that only God can fill. And it doesn't matter what you put in from this world, whether it's money or houses or cars or women or drinks or alcohol or drugs, whatever it may be, you'll not be happy. Because you weren't designed for this world to bring you happiness. Only God can do that. So, you were not designed to find permanent happiness down here. And the, the reality is that true joy comes from knowing Christ. True joy and happiness comes from Him. There's what, this is what you have to understand. This is what happens when we seek out happiness in a new car, in a new boyfriend, in a new relationship, in a holiday, in likes on social media, in money, a new outfit, a haircut, a pair of slacks, nice new shoes, great big TVs, wherever. We're trying to fill our life with stuff that will, we think will make us happy. But we might get momentarily excited, but it's gone. It's fleeting. It disappears. And you all know this because you were excited when you got the big TV for a few weeks. You were excited when you got a new car. For a few weeks. You were excited when you got a new house for a few weeks. You were excited when you got a raise for a few weeks. All of it was exciting and happy, but then it disappeared, right? It didn't stay with you. Anyone here that says, I got something I'm really happy with and that's what fulfills my life? Nothing. No one. No one can say that because 
Nothing in this world can bring you happiness except Christ. See, knowing God is the true pathway to happiness and joy. That is the only place that you will find true happiness and true joy. Listen to what David says. And David, if you know anything about the life of David, he searched for things everywhere. He did things and wanted things. And if you say son Solomon, he indulged himself in a whole bunch of things. But this is what David says. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In your presence is fullness of joy. Not in the stuff. Not in the stuff you surround us with. Some of us have garages of stuff we bought and spent money on, our hardworking money on, and now it's just thrown in a garage or thrown in a room and we don't even look at it anymore. It got us excited when we got it, but a few years down the road, no one cares. In fact, it's become a burden to you because now it's taking up space and you don't want it. But you were excited when you got it. Disappeared. Happiness gone. But David says, in your presence, God, there's fullness of joy. Because something that God can fill in your life, no one else can take away. See, Jesus told this woman, don't go do what's happy. He didn't say that. Just go do what's happy. You're, you're committing adultery. I'm sure you enjoyed it. Go back and do it. No, he didn't say that. He says, leave that life right now. Stop holding on to something that's going to take you to a place that you didn't want to go to. Give it up. Live a life that's beneficial. See, like all of us, we've gone looking for happiness in many places. In relationships, in money, in jobs, in status. I remember in my life, when I first started out in life, and I said, you know, I'm taking this bus every day. When I get a car, I'll be happy. Got a car. Took me like a few days. Gone. And I said, you know, if I get a better job, I'll be happy. Because I'll get more money. Then I became busy. I'm like, well, if I take a holiday, I'll be more happy. If I do this, it'll be happy. And every time I ran after stuff that I thought would make me happy, it's fleeting. It's like grabbing hold of smoke, you know. You grab a hold of it, but it disappears. That's what happiness in this world is like. Because every time we try to grab onto something, it just disappears in our hands. It doesn't make us happy. We're never fulfilled. The only reason we can be fulfilled is when we come to Christ and let Him fill our hearts and our souls. And we find true joy and happiness. Some of you are there right now. Some of us are overeating. Can't stop overspending. Can't stop drinking or smoking or prescription. Some of us are filled with online pornography. We're looking at relationships. We're trying to get in one out of one relationship into the other because we're on this happiness quest. And every time we think we, got it, we have it, it just disappears. Because it's never fulfilling. Nothing in this world can fill you. Sin promises satisfaction at the cost of disobedience to God. Sin will take you to a place you didn't plan to go. It'll take you further than you wanted to go and it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. This is what Paul says. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Sometimes we say we can't take this anymore. But Paul says, God always makes a way. The problem is we don't lean into him. We lean into the temptation and not into him. And the reality is that we've all done it. We've all had weaknesses in our life. We all still have weaknesses. I still have weaknesses in my life. Don't think I'm standing up here and talking to you like I have nothing in my life. I'm just as much guilty as all of us. Because all of us have, we might have different areas, but we all have areas in our life that we're tempted in and weaken. That's how life is. But he says, when you find yourself trapped, God gives you a way out. What is the way out? Well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the way out. 
Lean into him. Lean into his presence. Lean into that. Find someone who is a godly friend who can hold you accountable in your area of weakness, whatever it may be. And here's the most amazing thing, because every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. That's what it actually is. To lean into Christ a little bit more. And so Jesus says with urgency to this woman, leave your life of sin because it does not have hope. Here's hope. I am hope. I am the resurrection and the life. See, it's not about fear, fearing what's bad. It's longing for what's good. That's the difference. We don't have to fear what's bad in the world. We have to long for what's good. And when you long for what's good, the things that are bad will naturally just dissipate. That's important for us to understand. Again, every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. In your weaknesses, you can turn to Christ. In your mistakes, you can turn to Christ. When you're weighed down by the weight of the world and all the things that are going on, you can turn to Christ. Because He is strong when we are weak. He is our strength when we are ready to give up. He's here to help in that relationship, in that financial crisis, in that job situation, in that school situation, in your mistakes and failures and the things you've done over and over again that you regret and you say, I'll never do it again, I don't want to do it again, but yet you find yourself doing it again. Christ is our help in such situations. You know, the word repent means to come back. The word return means to come back to where you originally were. God created us to be in relationship with him. But we found that if we seek out other stuff, we think it makes happy. So we run after all this stuff. And so what God is saying is, stop looking for satisfaction, happiness, and joy in things. Return to me. Because that is where you'll find true joy and true happiness. The word repent doesn't mean to come up here and start crying. It means to change the way you think. Stop thinking in that fashion and realize Christ is for you and you can change the way you think. So, things Jesus never said. Go do what makes you happy. He said, come to me. All you are labored and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. That is where you find true joy and true happiness. As we conclude today, I want to leave you with two questions. Number one, where have you been searching or looking for happiness? Have you been looking in the wrong places? Have you been looking to people to fill your life and think, well, if this person loves me, I'll be happy. If this person gives me attention, I'll be happy. Let me tell you this. The one responsible for your happiness is not other people. It is you. No one else is responsible for your happiness but you. You can't look for people to come into your life and make you happy. You can't look for things to come into your life and make you happy. You need to make a decision where your happiness and joy comes from. And as I've said, it only comes from Christ. So maybe you've been looking in the wrong places. Maybe you're searching out the wrong things. You think a new relationship and you think some more money and you think a new car and a new house and stuff will make you happy. But you found over and over again that it hasn't. So why continue to do the same thing and expect different results? So where have you been looking for happiness? Maybe it isn't the right place. Number two. What have you allowed in your life to find happiness only to regret it? Maybe you've got into a relationship because you thought that this was going to make you happy and now you have some deep regrets. Maybe you thought getting this massive loan to buy a new car, a new house would make you happy but now you're burdened under debt and you're struggling to pay off this house that you never get to live in because you're busy at work 24-7 trying to pay off what you thought would make you happy. 
Maybe it's things that you bought and put into your house and you said, I want this TV, I want that, I want that. All this stuff will make me happy. But again, they come and they go and things just don't make you happy. What have you allowed in your life that you thought would make you happy and now you regret it? Stuff, people, things. All of us have made decisions. But here's the amazing news. The amazing news is this. You still have an opportunity to find true joy. If you're struggling under the weight of depression, debt, mistakes, struggle, sin, whatever it may be, we're all under the weight of that sometimes. The good news is that we have Christ. And He can bring us true joy. So as we close, let's stand. I want you to take two minutes and just start to examine your life, examine where you are, look into your life and see where it is that you've been searching for stuff that you think that would have brought you happiness. Maybe it's attention. Maybe you thought by doing stuff for people, they'll recognize you and appreciate you and they didn't get that. And now you're feeling discouraged. Maybe you thought that by finding a new relationship that will help you and make you happy and just made you more miserable. Maybe you thought buying more stuff to put in your house or things in your world, the latest phone, the latest gadget will make you happy. And it did for a few seconds, but it's gone again. And so I said at the very beginning, most of us, we're on a happiness quest. We run after things to give us that dose, that adrenaline shot of happiness. It's like a drug, you know. We want that shot of happiness. And so we look for it everywhere, in every situation. Sometimes we, we buy stuff to eat that is not healthy for us because you're like, this is going to make me happy. And then we find ourselves addicted to food, addicted to other stuff because we think all this stuff is going to make me happy. And it's just a search one after the other, running, running, and running after things to just fill us momentarily of happiness. And it's, it's a drug that we think is going to fulfill us. And it never does. It never does. It's empty promises. Because as we talked about that tiger, you, never, you were not designed for this world to bring you something, to make you happy. You weren't designed that way. And so like a tiger living in a cage, it doesn't matter what you throw at it, it's not going to be happy. No matter what you throw at yourself, it's not going to be happy because you weren't designed for any of those stuff to make you happy. Only Christ. So if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, make that decision. It's the decision you'll never regret. Doesn't mean you won't have problems, doesn't mean you won't have issues, but you have a sense of joy and relationship and belonging that you'll not find anywhere else but in Christ. I want to encourage you. Doing stuff will never make you happy. Becoming what God wants you to will fill your life. So wherever you are, let's pray. Let's lift our hands if you can. I've given you a few minutes to be introspective and look into yourself and examine. See where it is that you are, what you're searching for, what you're looking for. And let's begin to ask God, let's begin to ask the Holy Spirit to come in and just begin to search our hearts. David said this, search me and find no wicked way within me. Because here's the reality. If I search my own heart, I'll gloss over some areas. I'll hide over some other areas. And so David says, Lord, you come and search me. And find places in my heart, in my life that maybe not in alignment to where I'm supposed to be and what I should be. Help me. Fill me. Move me in the right direction. It says, with every temptation, God gives us a way out. An opportunity to get through. And Jesus said it clearly. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. He is the opportunity. Every temptation is an invitation to depend on Christ. Let's do that. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, Father, we thank you for your light and your life. That you shine into the dark areas of our life. And that light may shine brightly to help us live a life that's filled with true joy and true happiness. And not momentary pleasures of things and and places and people. But Lord, a true sense of happiness. To seek after you. To have that unending relationship. The everlasting relationship that transcends life and death. Because the only relationship that is eternal is one with you. So Lord, help us lean in a little bit more. Help us dive in. And when temptation comes, help us find that invitation to lean into you. And yes, we acknowledge we've all made mistakes. I've made mistakes, Lord. I, I continue to make mistakes every day. I continue to give into temptation. But Lord, help us, move us forward. Build us up and strengthen us. We desire more of you. We desire more of your potent spirit. We desire more of your word, more of your life, more of your liberty in our life so we can have true happiness and not live with regrets and shame. So Lord, I thank you for the church. I thank you for Transformers. I thank you for those that are watching online. I thank you for your presence and your spirit that never gives up on us but gives us a fresh start each and every day, every moment of our life. We have an opportunity to have a fresh beginning. And I thank you for your redeemed love that you've poured onto us. I thank you this morning and thank you for everyone gathered, even those that could not come out. We're praying for those right now that have been affected with COVID and are isolating. Many people have got that right now, especially in our church, and we pray for them as well, that you would bless them and bring them through as your healing powers flows to their life. As we give you praise and thanks, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.